the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Revelation. we cannot work our way to heaven because you can't obey the law well enough to deserve heaven. But he adds there, but thanks be to what Jesus did, we can have access through faith in his finished work. And that's why he goes on to say there in Galatians 3.13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Oftentimes, Christianity is mistaken as a works-based religion. Whenever God is brought up, people assume that in order to be in God's good graces, you need to do all the right things. In today's message, Pastor Gary wants you to know that God's gift of everlasting life is free and requires nothing more than your belief in Him. When you make Him the Lord of your life, Your stake in His kingdom is claimed, and there is nothing you can do to change that. Follow Him today and be set free forever. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. This has been our timeline through the whole book of Revelation, and it has covered everything from Jesus' resurrection from the dead, his ascension that led to the church age. We're presently living in the church age. At some point, there's going to be a trumpet call. It tells us that the dead in Christ will rise first, and after that, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. That's like the first phase of Christ's second coming. He only comes in the clouds to receive his, his church. And so he physically snatches us from the earth. There is an English term that we have derived from the Latin word in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, raptus, to be seized. And we say it's the rapture. There's an event where people will actually be taken from the earth. And so he raptures the church. Following the rapture of the church is seven years of tribulation. That's Revelation 6 through 18. Uh, very uh, difficult cataclysmic things that come upon the earth, uh, not because God delights in displaying his wrath, but because he knows that human nature is sometimes, he has to literally turn up the heat in order to finally get our attention, and finally we might surrender to him. Unfortunately, many will not, but many will during the tribulation time. And then at the end of the tribulation, which culminates in the battle of Armageddon, then Christ, this is kind of the second phase of his, of his uh, second coming, he returns uh, uh, visibly, physically to the earth. 
and we who have been with him will return with the Lord, and he will establish his kingdom on earth for a thousand years. That's the millennial reign. He will rule and reign from uh, Jerusalem, and then following the millennial reign will be the lake of fire. The false prophet, the uh, Antichrist, and Satan will be thrown into the lake of fire, along with all those who have just summarily uh, dismissed Jesus and denied him as Lord and Savior. And that's all at the same time as the great white throne judgment when God brings a final uh, judgment upon really the human race, those who have not yet been judged uh, through the millennial period. Those of us who've already gone to be with him, we've been judged by virtue of the cross and our confession of our sins and our faith in Jesus. So we don't, we don't get judged again. Once you have passed from death to life, you have experienced that rebirth. That is your judgment. Our sins have been placed on Christ. And then heaven coming down, descending on earth, a new city, Jerusalem, that measures approximately 1,500 miles in every direction. Uh, it's as long and wide and high, the Bible says, so it's shaped the new city somewhat like a cube. It's a very interesting dimension that we may be living in. But there's a new heaven, a new earth, a present heaven, present earth are going to be destroyed, the Bible says. And so God creates a new heaven, new earth, this new heavenly Jerusalem, heaven on earth. And we talked about uh, the new Jerusalem. To summarize the new Jerusalem, we can see it this way. We have the description of the city. When you look at Revelation 21, uh, it's very beautiful. It's adorned with every precious stone. It's very colorful. The Bible talks about streets of gold, but at the same time says that the streets of gold were transparent like glass. So it's difficult to comprehend how things can be gold, but also transparent and not opaque. But that's the way the Bible describes it. The gates of the New Jerusalem, a single pearl, 12 gates, three on each side uh, to enter into the city. The population in the city, believers are present. God is with us. Unbelievers are absent. They have been sentenced now at this point. They have been cast into the lake of fire. So this is eternally our our home with the Lord and he is with us. And then the invitation to the city we see here in chapter 22 in a moment where the invitation is let him who thirst come. It's an open invitation. But, but those who are able to receive the invitation are believers at this point. The ones who are going to be able to drink uh, of this water of life are those who have gained access into this new heavenly city by virtue of their faith in Jesus Christ. Which brings me to the next slide. When we talk about let him who thirst come, uh, in the Bible, uh, in chapter 22, there are uh, uh, references... Three phrases that are repeated often. One is water of life. It's mentioned uh, once in chapter 21 and then twice again here in chapter 22. Another phrase that is repeated often here is the tree of life. It is mentioned in the book of Revelation back in chapter 2 verse 7 as the promised reward for the church of Ephesus. He who overcomes will be able to eat of the tree of life. Then it's mentioned three more times in chapter 22. And finally, an often repeated phrase... In chapter 22 are the words of Jesus, I am coming quickly. So we're going to be looking together at chapter 22, and we're going to look at these three often repeated phrases as we make our way through chapter 22. Let me read the first five verses, if you have your Bibles there now. Revelation 22, verse 1, And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, 
each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, and there shall be no more curse. But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. And so at the beginning of this chapter, it says, for he showed me. So John's writing this, the he is an angel that we read about back in chapter 21, uh, verse 9, one of the seven angels. So God dispatches an angel to take John on this tour of the future. And John sees this new heavenly city, this new heaven on earth. And uh, the first thing that he has sh- is shown here by this angel is a pure river of water of life. So again, um, just here's a breakdown of what we're going to see here, a summary of the water of life that is mentioned three times in the book of Revelation, twice here in chapter 22. The water of life is mentioned nowhere else outside of the book of Revelation. These are the only three references that we have in all of the Bible to this phrase, the water of life. Uh, It gives us the description here. It's crystal clear. It's a pure river. It tells us here in in the text that I just read that it is flowing from the throne of God down the middle of the street. And so that's a little odd for us to comprehend. Why would a river be, you know, down the middle of the street? Remember, there's no asphalt streets in, in heaven. So these are transparent glass streets that are made of gold, and there's some kind of water course through it. So some of what we're reading here, we probably just have never seen, nor can we really imagine, which is what the Bible tells us anyway. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, neither has it entered the heart of man what God has prepared for them that love him. And so some of this is a bit of a mystery, what John is seeing and what he's writing to us, that there are things that, you know, part of the topography of the new heaven, the new city, Jerusalem, that we just may not be familiar with because we've never seen anything like it. But it also tells us here that this water of life is flanked by the tree, and I put a parenthesis plural, the trees of life, and I'll explain that why it's either singular or plural when we get onto the topic of the tree of life in a moment. And then it tells us that um, believers drank from this water source in the new heaven. And so that's the summary of it. Now, if you look back here at the verses with me, it talks then about, in verse 2, in the middle of its street, and on either side of the river was the tree of life. So now we are introduced here to the tree of life, which it first appears in Revelation chapter 2, and then three more references here in chapter 22. Now, unlike the water of life, which is only mentioned in the book of Revelation, the tree of life is not only mentioned in the book of Revelation, the tree of life is first mentioned to us in the book of Genesis. In chapter 2, it was one of many trees in the Garden of Eden, but it was one of only two trees that were specifically named. You have the tree of life, you have the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And it was guarded by cherubim after Adam and Eve sinned against God, and when they were expelled out of the Garden of Eden, God didn't want them to go back into the garden to eat from the tree of life, so he stationed cherubim, angels, with fiery swords so that they could not get back in and eat of the tree of life. That's Genesis 3.24. But then we don't see the tree of life referenced again until we get here to the book of Revelation. When in chapter 2, verse 7, Jesus mentions to those who overcome in his letter to the church of Ephesus that they shall, future tense, eat from the tree of life. And then 
it reappears in the new heaven here in chapter 22, and its leaves and fruit are a reward for believers. And it tells us here that it produces fruit each month. So as, as you look at these first five verses here that I just read, a couple of things I just want to mention. First of all, it's a little difficult in the language to understand how many, is it just one singular tree of life or are there multiple trees that are all called the tree of life? And the language is difficult, and there's debate among Bible scholars to interpret this. You know, it was a single tree in the Garden of Eden. And then, of course, as I mentioned, you know, God guarded it so they couldn't go back and eat of it. Then the flood came and destroyed the planet. But at some point, you know, God preserved the tree of life, uprooted it before the flood, kept it so that it reappears here in Revelation chapter 22. Now, some Bible scholars say that the way the language is, it just means that the tree was so large and overwhelming that the branches would drape over both sides of the river. And so that's why some say, no, it's just a single tree, but it's so large and, and producing such wonderful fruit that the branches extend on each side of the river, and so that's what it means. Others read this, and say, no, the language, especially when you look at verse 2, and it says, you know, on, on either side of the river, the, in the middle of the street, and on either side. So how do you have in the middle and on either side? That's why some say, well, it's huge, and it's draping both sides. Was the tree of life which bore 12 fruits, now look, each tree yielding its fruit every month. Well, now it sounds like there's more than one tree. So it's difficult to understand. If I had to just pick one of the two, my preference would probably be in interpreting this passage that there are trees on either side of this water of life, this river, but each tree is a tree of life. And so it's, it's, a, it's a single um, kind of a tree, but there might be multiple trees because the way the language seems to indicate here. Now, it's interesting also to note that it produces fruit every month. And this is interesting in this, for this reason. You know, God is outside of the space-time continuum. With God, there is no measure of time. You know, with us, there is a measurement of time. But God is outside of that. So that's why the Bible says, with the Lord, a thousand years is, is, is like a day, and a day like a thousand years. I mean, God is outside of time. He's not restricted by time. Now, he entered our time when he took on flesh and dwelt among us. But when you think about heaven and you think about eternity there really isn't any measurement of time except that it is a reference here to a measurement of time because when it speaks here about the fruit being produced every month, what that indicates to us is that heaven still marks time. It will just be a different kind of time. There's no end to this time. There's no aging process in this time. There's no expiration of this time. But it still indicates to us that heaven marks time because of what it says there about how each tree yields its fruit every month. I also want you to notice in verse 3 where it says, and there shall be no more curse. Um, Actually, before that, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Why do the nations need healing? There's no more sickness. There's no more disease. So do these leaves have some kind of medicinal quality? Actually, the Greek word for healing can also mean health giving. 
So it doesn't indicate that there's any sickness. There is no more sickness. There is no more death. There is no more pain in heaven. The Bible already made that clear in chapter 21. So there's probably some just uh, wonderful properties to the leaves. I don't know if it means that it's edible. I, I don't know, but it but it's health-giving versus healing in terms of sickness. There is no sickness. And then verse 3, when it says, and there shall be no more curse, if you circle that word curse, that's an important point because Jesus has redeemed us from the curse. And you know, when man sinned against God originally in the Garden of Eden, then God pronounced a curse. He cursed the serpent, he cursed the woman, he cursed the man. And uh, when he cursed the woman, he said, You're, you shall now experience pain in childbirth. When he cursed the man, he said, now your labor shall be intensive and often feeling unproductive in the process of all your work. And in the process of the curse, too, uh, God says there's now going to be friction between the two sexes. And so there's and then the ultimate curse was death. Because when they disobeyed God and they deliberately ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God said to them, in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Literally, the dying process begins. So death entered the human race. It's a part of the curse. It's a part of sin that, that mankind um, incorporated into our being. And it became a soul issue. It became a spiritual issue um, that was handed down to every successive generation. Thus, the reason we get, you know, eventually die is because we're, you know, still under that curse. But Jesus broke the curse and offers us eternal life. And so uh, that's, you know, Paul would write about that in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 10. He says, for as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. You know, you and I cannot fulfill all the letter of the law. We are lawbreakers by nature. And then our best efforts, we don't measure up. So there's this futility, and it's the result of being under the curse. But then Paul goes on to write, and he says, but that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. And so he brings in the whole idea, thus we cannot work our way to heaven because you can't obey the law well enough to deserve heaven. But he adds there, but thanks be to what Jesus did, we can have access through faith in his finished work. And that's why he goes on to say there in Galatians 3.13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And so, you know, this is, when, when we read here about, you know, being delivered from the curse, this is the restoration of all things. Because mankind uh, brought himself under the curse, under the wrath of God, by being lawbreakers. And, and yet, when we receive Christ by faith, he's the one who took the curse for us by dying on a cross. And, and therefore, the curse now has no more power over us. And so that's why John writes there, and there shall be no more curse. No more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. And then the next sentence, the next verse, verse four, and they shall see his face. You know, Paul would write in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, he said, Now I see, but in a glass darkly. In other words, now I look into a mirror like, like it's foggy. 
I can't, I can't see everything. I can't know everything, this side of heaven. So he says there, now I see, but in a glass darkly, but then I shall see face to face. But there will come a time when we will actually see the Lord face to face. And he says, and his name shall be on their foreheads. So some kind of tattoo, some kind of mark that forever identifies us with the name of God as belonging to the Lord. And then there in verse 5, we talked about this before, there's no reference to sun, there's no more need for moon, that God himself will be the light, and, um, and we shall reign with him forever and ever. So, you know, no more nighttime, no more sleeping, no... If the earth is rotating on its axis, it, it, we don't turn away from the sun at any point because the glory of God fills the place, and so we, there's never any darkness. But you won't need to go to bed, you won't need sleep, you won't... And by the way... We're going to see here in a moment about part of the the tree of life offers fruit. You know, you don't need to sleep and you don't need to eat, but there will still be eating in heaven. But now it's just going to be for enjoyment and it, and it, and it, you won't need it for sustenance. It's just going to be completely for pleasure and it won't ever affect, you know, body image. So it's going to be a wonderful day. So verse six, then he said to me, these words are faithful and true. And I, I like that because, you know, what, when you read what we just read, it, it's almost with disbelief we read some of these things. And, and I'm not saying that like a lack of faith. I just mean when you read the description of this incredible city and the glory of God being present and streets of gold and, you know, this clear, crystal clear, pure river running down, the, the, the thought of it is almost... Just we were like almost in disbelief, like this is just too amazing to even grasp. And so John says there, listen, these words are faithful and true. Trust me on this. I'm telling you, if, if, you're, if you're wondering, like, is all this true? I just want you to know, yes, these words are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. Behold, now Jesus interjects here. These are his words. If you have a Bible with red letters, this is him speaking now. Behold, I am coming quickly. And there's that phrase that is repeated three times in this chapter. I am coming quickly. Now that does not necessarily mean soon, you know, because you could read this and say, well, it's been like 1900 years, almost 2000 years since John penned these things, is John a liar or what? I mean, he hasn't come quickly. It doesn't necessarily mean that he's coming soon because God, you know, the measure of time is different between us and the Lord. But it means suddenly. The language indicates, and, and that's all through the Bible. When it talks about his second coming, it talks about he's going to come like a thief in the night, like suddenly, unexpectedly. That's what he means here about quickly. And then he adds, Jesus says, blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophets of this book. If you'd circle or highlight, if you have an electronic Bible, the word blessed, blessed. And it literally means, oh, how happy. The Greek word is makarios. Oh, how happy. And what's interesting is when you add it up, and I haven't been pointing it out throughout our study in Revelation, but when you add it up, there are basically seven beatitudes in the book of Revelation. You, you remember when Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, he shared eight Beatitudes. Blessed are, blessed are. 
and he gave a promise to each of the different groups that he was, you know, blessing. Thanks for listening today to Cornerstone Connection. This book of Revelation that you've been studying with Pastor Gary is one that many have studied and analyzed, tried and tried again to pinpoint on a timeline. When will Jesus come? When will these and times events take place? Have they already begun? There are many questions we don't have the answers to, and we won't until they happen. But there are some truths that we can hold on to. These events will happen. Jesus is returning, and he will defeat Satan once and for all. And all those who have made Jesus Lord in their life will be with him for eternity. What a wonderful time that will be. So where does that leave us? It's important to know what's coming so that you can prepare now and trust Jesus for what we don't know. We must give our lives to the Lord, and we need to give others the opportunity to do the same. We're so glad you tuned in for today's study in Revelation. If you'd like to explore more teachings from God's Word that Pastor Gary has shared, visit cornerstoneconnection.cc. There you'll also learn more about the church behind this ministry, Cornerstone Chapel. Come visit us if you're in the area. All the information you need is at cornerstoneconnection.cc. Join us next time for more here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.